you are live streaming, be it here on the coast, perhaps in Queensland on the Gold Coast, or as far as Denmark, America, or Japan. Again, welcome. You know, it's interesting. Um, at the beginning of the 20th century, a trend was seen across Europe, and that was a rapid decline of church attendance. Uh, Europe saw firsthand uh, the horrific scenes of World War I and II. And following that, many abandoned the idea of a formal religion. Uh, they jettisoned uh, the idea of their grandparents or even their parents' religion, and many church buildings were emptied out to nothing. Uh, there's actually, a few years ago, there was an article published uh, by a London newspaper called The Telegraph, and there is a, uh, a young Christian man um, by the name of Will Heaven, and he laments the fact that during his day, he has seen a rapid decline of any interest in, in Christianity. He says this, religion is moribund. It's an interesting word. None of us, I guess, I guess if you're a palm, you can get away with saying things like that, but which means it's on the rapid decline. Religion is moribund, he says, and Christianity has probably gone for good as Europe's default faith. A gloomy survey told us last week, it found that a majority of young people in a dozen Western countries have no religious affiliation whatsoever. The Victorian poet Matthew Arnold once described the melancholy, long withdrawing roar of the sea of faith. This Holy Week, the tide is so far out has to be barely audible. In this article, he later talks about his own experiences growing up in the UK and how he went to a Christian school and attended a Christian church. Um, but it's interesting, he said that he's seen a steady decline and if he felt as if this was sort of, he was witnessing the end of something. Now there's numerous reasons for an acceleration of apathy towards the Christian faith and towards any form of organized religion across Europe. I don't have time to sort of catalog them all. We've definitely, I think, seen that here in Australia. One of the reasons is, if you say, well, why are people so indifferent? Why are people uh, emptying out churches? One of the reasons is they reject the message of the cross. They reject the message of the cross. They feel that the message of the cross is foolishness. Now that's nothing new for this guy, Will Heaven, who wrote in the Telegraph. He felt like he was seeing sort of the beginning of the end. But we know that from the text that Andrew just read for us in 1 Corinthians, that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, it says, right? But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now, what I'd like to do on this Good Friday is camp out on just one verse. In chapter 1 of verse 18, this man, Paul, writes for the word of the cross is foolishness, right? To those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 
of God. So here's what I'd like to do. First, I want us to think about what is the message of the cross? Second, why do some people reject this message? And third, how does it affect those who believe it? So there's where we're headed. What is the message? Second, why do some people reject this message? And lastly, what effect does it have on those who believe this message? Those are the questions that I'd love to answer during this time together. But before we do, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we praise you for this week to reflect upon the work of your son. Lord, we pray that those that are live streaming now uh, would be impacted by this message of the cross. Lord, may the words of my mouth and may the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So in the ancient world, there was a well-known Greek city called Corinth. Andrew just read that passage for us. Uh, it's, it's called Corinthians. Corinth was a pretty well-established, wealthy city. About 200,000 citizens resided there at the time that this letter was written to them, which, which was actually a little bit more than Athens at the time. And it was a city that Paul, the guy who wrote this letter, he visited there at least three different times, and he preached this message while he was there, the message of the cross. But what is that message? What is the message? You know, before I was a Christian, and I, I think many people have this caricature of what Christianity is. Oh, I'm not interested in Christianity. It's all smells and bells. It's uptight people. I'm, I'm, I'm not keen on that. People have a caricature of what they believe Christianity is. But Paul, on Good Friday, tells us what the message of the cross is. In other words, he looks back hindsight at Jesus' work on Good Friday and says, this is the message, this is the result. So what's the message of the cross anyway? Let's start there. Paul would have told the Corinthians that from the very beginning, God created the world. Out of nothing, he fashioned the mountains, the valleys, the seas, deserts, and every living thing. He then made human beings in his own image. You and I, this morning, are a direct result of God making us. As you're tuning in now, you're using your eyeballs, well, hopefully, unless you're watching something else or texting on your phone, you're using your eyeballs, you're using your ears created by God himself. Now, because God created us, he has the right, the authority to tell us what is appropriate, what is acceptable. This is why he gave Adam and Eve the very first humans that were made, boundaries saying you can eat from any tree of the garden except this one. Some of you know that story. 
He wasn't on some power trip when he said that, like an older brother being mean to his younger brother to let him know who the boss is. He was saying for their own good, for their own protection, and because he has, as God, the creator himself, the authority to do so. Yet, many of us know this story. What did they do? They disregarded his rules and ate the fruit. They broke the commandment not to eat from the fruit. They sinned. Total tragedy. And not just for them, there's a ripple effect. When Adam and Eve sinned, they represented every one of us. They passed on sin to all who are born into this world. And just like Adam and Eve, we too were creatures made in God's image, and we have rebelled against our Creator. We have deliberately and continually rejected his ways. We have valued other things above God and made those things the most important in our lives. Which means that every person who has broken God's law is guilty in his sight. The Bible says that all have sinned. Which doesn't mean, by the way, that God will say, oh man, what am I going to do with these terrible people? I guess I'll just try to ignore them and let, their, you know, let, let them live their own life. No, no, no. I want, I want you to know our disobedience, our rebellion is directly against God and has offended him. He is the one who has been wronged and it follows that he will judge us. And his judgment against sinners is more than simply a hand Slap on the wrist. God is the giver and sustainer of life. So to sin against him equals death. It is God's just and calculated response to his commands being violated. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And isn't, isn't that not what God said to Adam and Eve? If you eat from this tree, you will surely, what? Die. Now, they didn't flop over dead there physically. But spiritually, they were separated from God at that point. As well as all of humanity are born into this world spiritually separated from God. And it's precisely because we have sinned that we have earned his judgment and wrath. And this is exactly why Jesus came. Jesus was sent to take the penalty for sinners, to become death for them. He was beaten, stripped, and nailed to a cross to die on behalf of sinners in their place. The Bible says he made him, God the Father, made Jesus the Son. He made him who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The wonderful news, friend, is that those who believe this message of the cross, who recognize their sin, their offense against God, who embrace his forgiveness and turn away from their sin, will be forgiven and spend eternity with him. Sin has been dealt with on Good Friday. That is the message 
that is the sum and substance of Paul, what he declared. And he took this message to Corinth and all around the ancient world. And people responded in different ways, as people do today. Some would have accepted this. Some of the citizens in Corinth, as we see, believed this message. But others thought it was utterly insane. This is why Paul says when he writes to the churches in Corinth, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. You see, those who rejected the message of the cross thought it was folly. Uh, The original word Paul uses here is moron, moronic. It's, they didn't make, they didn't make any sense to them. The idea of a poor carpenter who claimed to be the Messiah and who died a slave's death on a Roman cross was from their standpoint moronic. And these people had had various reasons why they rejected. But I want to highlight two groups. Two groups, which leads us to our second point, right? Why do some reject? I want to highlight two groups, especially during Paul's day. The Jews and the Greeks. Now, some of you watching might be like, I'm not Jewish, I'm not Greek, I like the food, but how is this relevant to me? Come on. Well, I want you to hear in the Jewish rejection and in the Greek rejection similarities right here in 2020 in Australia or wherever you're tuning in from in the world. People have these exact same reasons today. So let's start first with the Jews. At this point in time, um, remember the Jews, particularly in the New Testament, the the Pharisees recount when Jesus is on earth, they were looking to see a miracle. Do you remember that? Jesus, if you are the son of God, prove it, show it, give us a miracle. And their intentions weren't to see God display his grace and power or somehow validate his identity. On the contrary, their attitude was skeptical. The reason being, the Jews thought that if God were to visit his world, it would be in power. When the Messiah came, he would essentially look like Chris Hemsworth in Thor. Not the, not the last Avenger movie where he, anyway, the original Chris Hemsworth in Thor. You know, big buff guy, right? As the Jews were waiting for the coming Messiah, they had every expectation that he would be like a military commander who would destroy and banish Roman armies from the Jewish land and would set up the kingdom in Jerusalem. Instead, what happens? Is that what happens? Does he come as sort of this, you know, William Wallace sort of figure? No. Jesus comes in meekness and actually dies on a cross. In their minds, that equates weakness, not power. Defeat, not victory. Humiliation, not conquest. To speak of a crucified Messiah was an oxymoron. Who ever heard of a crucified Messiah? Can't save his own skin, let alone others. That's even what's interesting. When Peter first heard about Jesus going to the cross, the apostle Peter, he actually pulls Jesus aside and he says, no way, man. This isn't going to happen. You cannot, like, you're, you're not going to the cross. Because in his mind, Peter didn't have a category for a Messiah going to the cross. And 
you might, I shared this with my children last night in the Last Supper, following the Last Supper, when Jesus is betrayed and arrested. Peter still has in his mind that they are going to be a military sort of conquest group because when they arrest Jesus, what does he do? He pulls out his sword and he slashes off the ear of one of the um, people arresting Jesus. And obviously Jesus wasn't happy with that. He, he heals the man's ear. But it wasn't until, listen, it wasn't until Jesus died and rose again that Peter understood years later, like it, it clicked, saying, now I understand why Jesus went to the cross. Listen what he says when he writes to churches. He says, referring to Jesus, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed. Peter later understood that the message of the cross is the power of God to save sinners. Now, two groups, the Jews and the Greeks. Um, Now, the Jews, at this point in time, uh, you, you might... Be tempted, though, when you hear that to think, well, I'm not Jewish, I'm not Greek, I like the food, but how's it really relevant? And, and what I was saying earlier, hope, maybe you'll hear this again, um, before it cut out, was it might not seem like, okay, well, I'm not Jewish, I'm not Greek, I, I didn't live 2,000 years ago, how's this relevant? The reasons that they rejected the message are, vi- are similar today. They just sort of have new clothes on, as it were. So, let's talk first about the Jews, Uh, The first books of the New Testament recount for us Jesus' time on earth. And you don't have to look long and hard at them to see many Jews of the day demanding that Jesus perform some miracle for them, right? And their intentions weren't to see God display his grace and power or somehow validate the identity of Jesus. On the contrary, their attitude, their whole posture, their demeanor to Jesus was skeptical. That's why they wanted Jesus to do a miracle. The reason being... The Jews thought that if God were to visit his people, it would be in power. We would imagine, if you're a Jew, you would imagine him to show up and to be this conquering, brave heart, William Wallace, or maybe like Chris Hemsworth from Thor or something. Some massive, bigger-than-life figure who's a conquering warrior. That's what the Jews were expecting for their Messiah to show up and and to kick tail on the Romans and to set up the kingdom right there in Jerusalem to to destroy God's enemies and now they're going to live in peace and prosperity. But what happens instead? Instead, Jesus comes and he comes in meekness. He dies on a cross. And in their minds, that equates weakness, not power. That's defeat, not victory. That's humiliation. That's not conquest. To speak of a crucified Messiah was oxymoronic. Who ever heard of a crucified Messiah? Even when Peter first heard Jesus talk about dying on the cross, what did he do? He actually pulls him aside and says, no way, man, you're not going to the cross. In his mind, he didn't have a category for a Messiah being crucified. Even when Peter um, notices Jesus being, I shared this with my children last night, 
after the Last Supper when Jesus is betrayed. Peter still has in his mind, this is going to be some kind of conquest militarily speaking, because when they arrest Jesus, what does he do? He pulls out his sword and slashes off the ear of one of the people arresting Jesus. In fact, it wasn't until Jesus died on the cross, rose again, that it suddenly dawns on Peter why Jesus went to the cross. And, and years later, he writes to churches, Peter himself, about the message of the cross, the significance, what it means, saying this, he himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. We have been healed Peter later understood the message of the cross is the power of God to save sinners. And Paul knew this as well. This is, this is why he would try to convince people, especially his fellow Jews. But you can just hear them saying, Paul would go have debates all the time. He'd go into synagogues. And you can hear him talking about the message of the cross and them saying, well, look, Paul, in the past, we've seen firsthand what the Romans did to deluded fanatics who claimed to be the Messiah, right? Furthermore, Jesus never rose up an army. I mean, he never took up the sword. And come on, rather than kill his enemies, he actually dies at their hands. And not to mention all of that, in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses said, cursed is everyone that is hung on a tree. Well, that would be this Messiah. He's cursed by God. So the Jews in Corinth believed the message of the cross was scandalous. And people today think along similar lines. The way to get right with God is, is trying to be a nice person, they might think, or, or, or a helpful spouse, or perhaps a friendly co-worker. But listen, you get right with the Lord by, by being broken before a holy God because of your sin. You know, but let's be real. That feels too vulnerable and weak, doesn't it? Who wants to admit that they're a dreadful, sinful person or acknowledge their need for someone to save them? You say, I'm a nice person. I work hard. I pay my taxes. I don't, I don't like this view. But that is exactly the terms, the starting point by which you must be saved, friend. And so the message of the cross, according to these Jews and people today, is weak. It is utter foolishness to them. That is why they rejected this message. Now, that is the conclusion some Jews came to. But how about some of the Greeks in Corinth? I mean, after all, this is a Greek city. So let's think about the Greeks. Uh, the ancient Greeks were obsessed with philosophy. Many Greek societies were built upon it, actually. Public philosophers were trained at top-level schools, and then they'd have big meetings where they would put forward their worldviews as an explanation for life and death and the universe. The Greeks were in love with human wisdom. It, it was all about reason. And then Paul comes along and shares this message of the cross, which ran counter to their conventional idea of wisdom. It was all about a mastery of eloquence to them, right? And rhetoric. Uh, who could win a debate? Who could convince people? And who could talk their way out of a sticky situation? Especially something like crucifixion? Well, clearly this Messiah, this Jewish carpenter you're talking about didn't talk his way out of it. And so 
that would not be considered very wise. It's certainly, not, he wasn't a very good sage in our minds. And you can just picture how they would have responded to the message of the cross. Wait, hold on, Paul. So you're telling us that this guy who never studied at one of our accredited schools, this Jew from a town we've never heard of, was rejected by his own people, the ones he came to save, was abandoned by his own disciples, was strung up by the Romans, and was basically powerless to save his own skin? And you're claiming this somehow reveals God's wisdom? That is nonsense. That is madness. This whole concept of the cross ran against their preconceived notions of wisdom. That was the conclusion the Greeks came to and why they rejected the message of the cross. And not much has changed today, has it? People want evidence of facts and logic insofar, insofar as it lines up with their preconceived notions of facts and how they define logic. Just like Paul, our world today is caught up in human reasoning, human desires, and human aspirations. Men and women are constantly trying to figure out on their own, what life is all about, where it came from, where it is going, and what, if anything, it means. Basically, the only governing rule in all of this, by the way, is rejecting any absolute or divine authority. And even though when Paul preached the message of the cross, people mocked it, he wouldn't blush, even though the Greeks would have laughed him out of various group meetings and contexts, he wouldn't try to sweep it under the rug. But he preached Christ and him crucified. Precisely because it is this message that is the power of God. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. He was fully, fully aware that some would regard the cross as craziness but he also knew this message was the means of salvation for millions. That is why you have the other part of the verse. You see that there? For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's interesting, you might expect him to write something like this. Because it'd be easy contrast. He could have said, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the wisdom of God. Easy contrast, right? The opposite of foolishness is wisdom. But that's not what he says. He says it's the power of God. It is a mighty power that brings us to God, which reconciles us to him that provides hope and forgiveness. So how does it affect those who believe? Those who believe and respond in faith regard it as the evidence of God's power. Some of us that are listening to this now, you can attest to that, you can testify that, you know what, you've seen this power in your own life. That this, this message is not simply a theory, but how God operates to change us from the inside out. It is the power of God. It's had an effect upon us. It has changed us and continues to do so. There are people who once thought, like myself, that this message was foolish. Remember I said earlier that people have caricatures of what they think Christianity is? They th once thought it was foolish, but by God's grace, they now view it as the power of God. So ultimately, 
This is where I really want to drive this home. Ultimately, this message divides up humanity into two groups, two classes. Those who reject this message and are destroyed, those who believe it and are saved. It's as simple as that. Even though Jews and Greeks had different reasons for their rejection of the message of the cross, they were in fact united in their dismissal of its message. As much as society today allows us for indifference or apathy or wish-washiness, you can sort of have your feet in different camps as it were, the Bible places all people, every one of you listening, into one of those camps. Those who believe and are being saved, those who reject and will be destroyed. Those who judge the cross as nonsense are perishing. Sure, they might be nice people. Yeah, they, might, they, they probably are friendly co-workers. No doubt, um, they might be good parents. And they may not say this out loud, but they reject the message of the cross deep down in their hearts. It is ridiculous to allow any intrusion on their personal autonomy or to embrace any other definition of happiness. Day by day, they refuse to bow the knee to the almighty God. They love their sin and will not let it go. And because they reject Jesus Christ, in the end, he will reject them. Friends, listen to me. How you respond to the message of the cross will determine your eternal destiny. The cross is the test of everything. Now I want to close by, since we've been sort of dividing all of this up, speak to these two groups. Those who believe and are saved, those who are perishing. Let me start with the first, those who believe. You know, it's Good Friday is not just a holiday where we can eat hot cross buns, but it's a wonderful turning of point in history. Jesus took your sins upon himself. He bore your iniquities. You are in a right standing with God today because of this good work accomplished for you. If this had never had happened, what hope would you have? We're all going to die. I think this COVID-19 has certainly highlighted the reality of mortality, hasn't it? We are all going to die. Hopefully not sooner than later, but eventually all of us will. We will all stand before God. And friend, listen, those of you that are, are believers, if Jesus did not bear your sin, what hope would you have? Even, look, you, you live a good life, full of, chock full of holidays and family gatherings, or you live a crummy life. It's irrelevant at the end of the day, isn't it? Everybody is going to face death and everyone's going to have to face God in their sin. But thanks be to God, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, you can be saved and live with God forever because of this message of the cross, because of Jesus' work. The Lord would have every right, have every right to curse you forever. And you'd spend eternity in hell. But because Jesus lived a perfect life on your behalf, he saves you now. Notice those, the text says, those who are being saved. This is not just a one-time event, friend. Christianity is, is continuing to turn away from sin. 
is continuing to place your faith in the finished work of Jesus for the hope of forgiveness and eternal life. Now, I want to talk to this last group, those of you that are perishing. I, I want to just briefly say, I pray that you felt the gravity of this message today. Um, and let me say that, honestly, myself and others would be happy to chat with you on the phone or Zoom or whatever communication we have to do at this point. I really hope that you have felt, look, there, there's really humanity divided up into two groups. Because here's the deal. I know plenty of people who, who would say, look, I'm not really, I'm not against Christianity. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't vote to shut churches down or, you know, be a, one of the people we learn about trying to crucify Jesus. That's, that, that, that's not me. I, I, I'm not against all these things. I'm just not super into it like you are. You're still against Jesus. Jesus said you're either for me or against me. It, it divides humanity up into two groups. If, if you're indifferent, you're actually, your indifference is rejection. I, ho I hope you feel that. And so I just want you to really take this in and say, where am I? It, do I see this message as folly or as the power of God? And I don't mean the power of God in someone else's life. Is it actually the power of God in your life? The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Friend, that's the message of the cross. I pray that your response is one that makes you right with God because of Jesus' work and your faith in that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for this day. Thank you for Good Friday and it causes us to reflect upon the most important event in all of history. For those that have heard this and are feeling a little bit squirmy, a little bit uncomfortable, a little bit like, Maybe they want to have one foot in the world and one foot sort of associated with you. Help them to see that that doesn't work. Lord, that they will be judged in the end unless they turn and fully place their faith in you, fully turn their life over to you. Thank you, Lord. What an encouragement this is that by uh, the Lord Jesus and his work on our behalf, by his stripes, we are healed. Help us to be reflecting on that on this day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.